Welcome to Trapping Radio. This is your host, Clint Locklear. I'm actually recording this on Veterans Day. Uh, it's Thursday. I'm going to an Eric Hill, I'm an Eric Church concert tomorrow night, so I've heard his music on the radio. I don't know that much about it, but tomorrow I won't be able to do it, so I'm going to record it a day early, upload it uh, when I can in the afternoon, and then I'm going to go hear some country music. Now, being Veterans Day, I just want to say a few words. I appreciate the people that's gotten in contact with me and said thank you for your service. I do appreciate that. I really do. Um, and to all my other brothers and sisters out there, thank you. And this is, I kind of want to make a small point. If you're going to tell a veteran, thank you for your service. I've got a request for you. Be an American worth fighting for. Because if you are, you don't have to say thank you. Just be an American worth fighting for. All right, guys. I want to talk. I've. I think this is like episode. Oh, good God. Four hundred and fifty something. I don't think it's hit uh, four sixty yet. Uh, just, just think about that for a second. That's a minimum of 500 hours of me talking about trapping 500 hours and with trapping season coming on and new people are always getting into trapping I've got I won't say several I think it's been four in about the last three or four weeks where I'll be contacted and they say they listen to the, the trapping radio and they love it and it helps them and uh, they enjoy it and it's it's really cool but then at the same time what these I think it's four could be five basically what it said is is sometimes I find what you talk about very confusing and the reason for that is, is these are guys that haven't been in this game for 20, 10, 5, 3 years. I don't know if you've noticed this, but th this, this is my take on modern trapping. It's drastically changed from when I got into it seriously. I got into it when I was in the military, when I was in Fairbanks, Alaska. For some odd reason, I was so excited to come back home and chase coyotes in Tennessee and I, with what I had to trap in Alaska. And I think about that now, and I was just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of blown away at that, but I was so enamored with coyotes at the time because that's what all the cool trappers were trapping. That, uh, you know, I caught some Martin, I caught some Fox. I caught one beaver under the ice, a few muskrats, learned a ton, 
but Alaska probably wasn't the best place for me to get started trapping just for the simple fact of snow is at the time when I was up there I've heard it's been less here lately but when I was up there usually by October Halloween you're nipple deep in powder snow and season hadn't even started for 45 days so besides being really cold and, and all that that was that was a that was a rough place to start but I remember being so excited when I got back home in the lower 48 because I remembered I ordered uh, I sold a bunch of traps that I had up there brand new actually because we could buy them at the PX their own base at Fort Wainwright I found a bunch of yard sales um, I bought snares at the grocery store it, it, it was it's just a totally different culture up there and I remember selling that and then I went and I was looking at the I guess Trapper and Predator magazine is about all it was at the time besides fur fishing game and I came across uh, Trapper Art selling used traps and I remember taking that money and sending it to Trapper Art with a wish list of number threes and number three long springs and four long springs and um, Victor 175s because I was reading about a bunch about that at the time so when I actually showed up at my mother's house in Alabama which I was not going to be staying when I got off the road from driving back to Alaska I had these three big heavy ass boxes from Trapper Art with all of these traps were pretty much in rough shape but I was so excited I had to touch and set everyone I had rust all over me before I got done with that I was wanting to go trapping so bad and it wasn't even trapping season yet in Alabama because it starts much later but then I came back up to Tennessee I got my license got some properties I went out I started setting these traps I learned a lot about traps as far as um, they need to be at least a certain proficiency before you go out and try to set them and, and do a bunch of stuff but I remember absolutely being so excited to go check the traps Now I was slow I was meticulous to the detail that I thought was in, important and I did catch a few coyotes that first year caught gray fox raccoons beavers muskrats I don't think I caught an otter I think I, I don't think I caught any red fox I remember my first coyote just like it was yesterday I, I could take you to the exact point which is about three hours from where I'm at now on a dairy farm on the border of Georgia I could take you on the two track going to the field where I caught my first coyote I can see it I can hear it and I can smell it and that was the most amazing thing to me at the time 
I couldn't believe. Well, I mean, you know, you set a trap for a coyote. Actually, I set a bunch of traps for coyotes. Well, bunch at the time, probably slow as I was. Probably over two days of setting. Forty. But seeing that coyote for the first time, you're expecting it when you're setting the trap. But after you, you know, you're checking some traps and they're empty, then all of a sudden, lo and behold, they're bouncing in that circle. This big old male coyote raising absolute hell. Snapping. This one was barking. Mud everywhere. And he just, I remember the look in his eyes was like, this dude's been around and he's pissed off. And just seeing that, I can still see it in my head. I was so excited. And I remember taking that coyote home and skinning it, which was a nightmare because I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. It was not like skinning a fox. But I probably rubbed the hair off of that coat before I sold it for probably next to nothing because the fur market was pretty much next to nothing back then, early 90s. And I, and I haven't, I'm, I'm just, I'm just talking out loud now. I have no show notes for tonight's show. And it's, it's easy to forget what that's like. I've caught hundreds and hundreds of coyotes, hundreds and hundreds of cats, thousands of beaver and raccoons. Probably only a couple of thousand rats in my whole uh, entire time several hundred otter I've trapped in 24 different states I've done I've done this for a living for fur I've done it for a living for predator control I make my living making lure for other trappers now But what I want to start doing for the next several shows is more basic. Because to me, I've been at this for a long time. And the basics is something when you do anything for a long time, and I don't care if you're a mechanic, if you're a home builder, if you're a trapper, if you're a really good hunter, I don't care what it is that you do, the basics, once you get that skill set down, once you get that just locked in and an understanding about that, sure you learn, don't get me wrong, you're always learning at this game. I mean, this is one of the most cruelest games you can ever get into because by the time you really, really, really figure it out, you're going to be getting at the age where you can't really put it to good use. But when I was starting trapping, and pretty much everyone trapped for income, 
it may not have been a huge income. It may not have been a livelihood because most guys didn't trap for livelihood. But the, what they did trap for was vacations, a new deer gun, a new bow, a new vehicle or partly, pay off a bunch of debt. And, and at that time, the, the way trapping, the mentality of trapping was, was more geared towards money. So that's the way that, because that's the way that I started and went for so many years, it's hard for me to understand that people don't do that. The world has changed. Now, don't get me wrong, if there's a big spike in fur prices, sure, people are going to go as hard as they can to catch as much money or make as much money as they can. But the trapping industry is actually, I believe, bigger now, regardless of what all the naysayers say, it's bigger now than it was back in the 90s. Probably not before 87, before uh, Black Friday, before you had the big crash that killed the fur boom. But definitely, there's more trappers now. And a lot of us older trappers, we grew up in this era where if raccoons weren't bringing the money you wanted, you switched to a different animal. And it was income-based it was it was a paying hobby that you were actually looking to make real money year after year after year and this is just my opinion guys I, I'm just talking openly that's not I don't think the way the fur market is now I don't think that's the way the trapper mentality is now We've been in a low fur market for a few years. Don't know when it's going to switch. It seems to always do that. When it goes, when things get really high in price, of course, a bunch of people jump in. A bunch of people, you know, quit trapping when it goes down. But I can tell you from supply sales, lure sales, bait sales, the trapping base is actually bigger now than it was in the 90s it's bigger now than it was five or six years ago where you know what what's the last time i don't know i guess it was five or six years ago muskrats bringing really high prices cats bringing high prices coons bringing really decent prices fox bringing good prices you could make some money trapping And there used to be battles on Trapper Man about who had the biggest fur check. People would post their fur checks. The biggest one I ever saw, I believe, was from Phil Brown. And I think it was, if it wasn't over 100 grand, it was close. Now, me and you are probably never going to fur trap and make that kind of money. We're not Phil Brown. There's certain trappers that I believe personally are kind of like genetic freaks when it comes to sports. Phil Brown happens to be one of those. 
Robert Waddell is another one. Matt Jones is another one. Randy Smith is another one. I can kind of play in that arena, but the freaking monsters when it comes to catching fur. And I remember seeing these fur checks. And I'll be honest, guys, I've been to Grinwalds and walking out of there and take a check to the bank from Grinwalds, over $50,000. I thought I could cash it in Illinois and just make it disappear, but that doesn't work because you got to sign paperwork. So then I had to come back home, put the money in the bank. You can kind of figure out that's the way it works. But you have like this old guard way of trapping and a new guard. And the old guard has a tendency to look down on the new guard. And the new guard looks back at the old guard and looks down on them too. Which to me is, is, is not very uh, effective for trapping because we're both trapping. Now the new guard I find very interesting. It's what keeps the trapping industry afloat, believe it or not. It is not guys like me or Jeff or Phil Brown or Robert Waddell or Zagger. Those are not the guys that keep the trapping industry afloat. It's really changed. It's changed to where the new guard... It's not for the love of money, it's for the love of trapping. It's for a reason to get out in the woods. It's for a reason to get out and get away from computers and people and concrete and asphalt. It's turned into more like deer hunting. Now the old guard, that may seem very confusing because the old guard was very hush-hush in what they did. The new guard is the complete opposite. The new guard takes a camera everywhere they go. They're posting pictures. They're posting videos. They're doing it on a daily basis. People are commenting, good and bad. And before you know it, that seems to draw in new guard trappers. Because let's face it, I've deer hunted my whole life. I've never got into turkey hunting after talking with Chip and Carl. I don't want to get into it because I'm obsessive and compulsive and that doesn't seem like a healthy thing for me to do. But I've deer hunted my whole life. It's not that exciting compared to trapping. You may go out, even if you're going after the big buck. And you've got to hunt that buck for a year or two. And you pick your perfect days with the perfect wind at your perfect locations. But you have day after day after day after day 
of waiting. You go run a good coyote trap line or a bobcat or a raccoon or a beaver, muskrat, even otter in certain locations, you've got you've got stuff happening every day most of the time. You're seeing success most of the time over a day's time. Not every set, but over a day's time. And I think the new guard likes that. I think that's where we've changed in trapping. It's went from an income base to more of a purely hobby base. And there could be traditions. It could be passing it along to your kids. There's all kind of different things. But it's not really the money way that it used to be. And when you talk to guys back in the late 70s and early 80s, trapping was a business for a trapper, for the most part. Guys were buying new trucks off of their money. In a couple of years, they could put a, a pay off half a house. They could make a year worth of wages by trapping hard for three or four months. That's not the way it is in 2021. It could be again. I don't know. But that's not the way it is. And a lot of people get upset with people that post catch pictures, which I don't understand because that's the goal of trapping. That is the goal. I can tell you from a personal perspective, killing a coyote is not the goal. Catching the coyote is the goal. The killing is because it's not very nice to sell it to sell it the way we sell pelts with it still alive. That's something you have to do to be able to process the fur. A lot of non-trappers think it's bloodlust. Yeah, no, it's solving problems. It's figuring things out. It's going into a foreign terrain of the wilderness that we don't live in anymore and outsmarting animals that do live there. And that's a huge draw to the new guys that are coming in. Because what is what is an what is a younger person's life consist of? Social media. Your job. How good are you at video games? What's your style, your dress? Are you dating a 10 or an 8? Or a 5 or a 3? It's so freaking superficial. And I think with most guys, when you get out in the woods, you realize out there, there is no superficial. You have to earn it. And you're proud of it. 
you have to suffer just a little bit for it. Sometimes a lot. You have to sacrifice being warm and cozy in a house playing on electronics if you want to go out in the woods and actually catch fur. It's just, it's just, I mean, I, I've talked to Jeff and I've talked to Ralph and Sean at F&T and I've talked to other friends of mine about this and it's, and for a while it was very confusing to me because I came more from that old guard. But the new guard is what's keeping trapping alive. And if we want to have trapping, we've got to be able to get new people involved. And the only way to get those people involved is to meet them where they're at. The reason I'm saying this for the old guard is don't, don't just make fun of guys that post everything online. That's the way it is now. They're not so much interested in dollar amount, they're still going to do it anyway because it allows them to experience things that they don't get to experience in the modern world. I think it's, um, I'm not sure if it's better or worse. It's just what it is. And the reason I'm saying all this is the old guard like me that's made a living from catching fur and predator control. We, we look at trapping in a way that's not always applicable to the modern day trapper. And I'm as guilty of this as anybody. You want to get me excited? You start talking hundreds of something. Not dozens. Efficiency at a set. Extreme planning. Going out and running yourself into the ground to the point that when you quit trapping for a few days, you may sleep, which I've done, for over a day at a time. You can't feel your hands, you're grumpy, you're just a nasty person because you smell like crap and your mood's like crap and the only thing you see is more, more, more. Now I'm not saying anything is wrong with that, but I think what is confusing to some of the guys that listen to Trapping Radio is that's not a majority of Trapping Radio anymore. Now, I promise you, I'm still going to talk about that because my blood pressure starts going up. My adrenaline starts flowing. I start kind of like fidgeting a little bit because if we're going to talk about trapping, what excites me is because of the success that I've had and others have had 
is because you figure out ways to go out and absolutely load up with fur and it's not easy that's why it's like the holy grail to be able to do it all the time but there's a lot of guys out there that they have no intentions of setting so many traps in two days that they have to run their hands under hot water in the morning just so they can make coffee they can't even conceive that someone would push themselves that hard so kind of what I want to do is back off of the super efficiency for a while and talk a little bit more about the basics now I'm going to try. Just like a house builder that's built houses for his whole life, certain things seem really easy and don't really need to be talked about. But to the guy that's not been building houses that long, that's what's important. So if you're of the old guard and you hear me talking more about basic stuff, understand why. And if you're more of the new generation of trapping, understand that I want you to be the happiest and best trapper that you can be. That's my goal of doing this podcast. So we're going to talk a little bit more about basics. But before we do, I want to thank our sponsor. First one is F&T Fur Harvesters. Everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. You can get all of my products from there. Uh, they have a tremendous catalog. They have a tremendous business because of customer service. You put an order in, it goes out. You don't have to worry about it with F&T. The other one is Funky Trap Tags and Supplies. They're also a sponsor of Man Strong Podcast. They have a full trapping supply line. They sell copper trap tags. They have stuff for hunting and fishing. They have amazing predator collar deals. Alan is just one of those guys, if you ever get to know him, he's a friend for life. That's the kind of people you want to do business with. We have Oki Cable and Trap out of Oklahoma. Jeb is a fur buyer most years. A lot of times you can buy meat and glands from him. He's got a full line of trapping supplies. Um, lure making stuff traps snares swivels about whatever you'd want jeb will help you out any way that he can that's one of the reasons he's a sponsor the last one is dunlap lures now jeff is a good friend of mine as most of you know we're both we should be i guess in the dog-eat-dog -dog world of, of uh, capitalism should be enemies, but we're not. We both make lure, we both make bait. And I can tell you a fact. If for some reason I wasn't using mine, I'm using Jeff's. I'm not saying mine's better even though I'll tell him that. They're both great products. Bait and lure. He takes a lot of pride into what Jeff does. 
He's got a, not, a lot of knowledge backing up what he does. He's got a lot of experience when it comes to trapping in lures. That's why Dunlap Lures is someone you can trust. Now, I was thinking of something the other day, and I'm just, I'm, th this is not trapping, this is just uh, how my brain works. Have you ever wondered what it must be like for ladies to date liberal men? I'm talking liberal men. And, you know, and it's, it's kind of like, for some reason, a lot of the women that want liberal men, they want women, not really men. So, I'm just, I'm out in the lure shop. I was actually making a beaver buffet, balling up for a wholesale order, and my brain starts wondering, and this is some of the stuff that I start thinking. And if something goes bump in the night with a liberal man, I'm wondering which one of those runs to the closet first to hide. I'm wondering, do their cycles link up? If you're a young person, please don't ask your mom what that means. Like, who kills the spiders and the bugs? Is it the liberal guy or the woman? Do they both have to buy tampons? Is there any chance that a liberal man is actually going to stand up for a woman in a confrontation, physically? Just some of the weird stuff I talk about. And how many times do the men start crying for no good reason? See, I just have all these crazy questions that come in my mind sometimes, and it just makes me kind of go, I wonder what that's like. Luckily, being in the trapping community, I don't have to really deal with a bunch of liberal men. And I can't imagine what it's like for modern women to have to do that too. Now let's get back to trapping. So, it's starting to rain pretty hard. I'm in a wood building, so I'm going to, hopefully you don't hear that. I thought that I would, to start off talking about some basic stuff, to basically break down some sets. Now, I don't know how far we're going to get with this today, but I want to do it in a way that if you're not someone that's trapped for a long time, maybe some things that'll help you out with like a dirt hole set, a flat set, a blind set. Some things you may have not have thought about. Some of my personal experiences with it, what I've seen other trappers do. So I'm going to start with what is kind of like the modern king set in today's trapping, and that's a dirt hole set. If you go to a demo at a, at a national convention or the FTA or state convention, I promise you, if it's land trapping, probably 80% of what you see is going to be a dirt hole set. 
it's basic it's fairly simple it works and it's easy to grasp a dirt hole set it's a hole that you put something in and you put a trap somewhere around that thing to catch an animal now <clears throat> for a lot of guys that don't know this today because let's just be honest most trappers don't actually study very much trapping history the dirt hole set was never a coyote set until the fur boom never it started in the northeast somebody watching a fox dig and bury something had the intelligence to go they kind of dug a holeish like thing because it's not really a hole it looks more like a V scraped out and then the animal will put a lot of times what it can't eat or what it's going to come back for into this basically slot and then kind of cover it up and hopefully no one else finds it and he can come back and get a snack when he wants it the dirt hole was actually historically for fox they were smaller holes shallower because think about what I just said if you've ever seen a dog dig in the yard they don't dig a hole they just they just like paw 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 down until you've got this slot basically dug in the ground and a lot of times it's wider at the back than it is the front so then what trappers did at the time is they would at the beginning was pretty much just urine and they would squirt some urine into this thing that looked kind of like a dog did and they put a trap in front of it and they all had their little secret places to put the trap and they would sift it in their trap and they started catching fox for fox a dirt hole is an amazing set fox like them gray fox like them coons like them possums like them skunks like them in the right situation, otter like them. If a cat comes across it, it will investigate it. A dirt hole set. Then, just a little background history. If you follow history at all, the dirt hole set was predominantly for fox. And then as eastern trappers that were fox trappers started getting into coyotes, they started trying to convert a fox set into a coyote set. And I can understand the logic for that because a lot of people would go, well, it's a canine, a fox, and it's a canine, a coyote. So if it works for a canine it works for a canine and this was in the east this was pretty much what was in publications starting in the mid 70s all the way up to now 
coyote trappers started becoming dirt hole trappers. Which ironically, when you look at history that goes back way before this time period, back in the 1920s to the 1970s, most coyote trappers were in the West. And you know what you find very little of in all of the historical data in the books and everything in the articles was dirt holes. The coyote trappers that were catching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of coyotes didn't use them. But the fox trappers in the east that became famous because that's where the publications were and that's where the notoriety was, they converted and they did more work and during the, especially leading up to the 87, it was like a free fall of information because if you could put out anything, somebody would buy it. Because you didn't have the internet or YouTube or videos or nothing like that. So this concept of a dirt hole became a generic set for everything. And if you're just beginning, I really don't hate that idea. I'll be honest with you. I don't hate the idea. I don't love the idea of it being a generic set for anything, but I don't hate that idea. Because it's something you can grasp and it's something you can sink your teeth in and you can kind of modify around and play with. So whether you're trapping fox, coyotes, or cats, want to catch some coon, gray fox, you will catch everything in a dirt hole set as far as species go. But don't always confuse that with a generic set, like a dirt hole, that can catch a fox, a cat, a coyote, and a coon to be the best sets to catch bobcats, coyotes, fox, and coon. One thing I've learned in all the years that I've trapped is people are actually pat, uh, pattern machines. They see patterns. If something works, they trust it pretty much forever. So, I want you to run a little mental exercise with me. You start trapping. You put in some generic dirt holes, you know, two or three inches round with your Yoho trowel, five or six inches deep. You put your trap directly in front of it and sift you a nice little pattern or you move it over to the side a little bit left to right you sift your little pattern put your lure and bait down the hole and you catch a couple of coyotes a couple of fox and a couple of cats and a couple of coon damn this thing catches everything it's the best set there is But in reality, is it? See, the pattern, and, I, and, and I'll make this even uh, clearer in a different way. 
when I was running night vision footage on Beaver, and at the time that I shot that night vision, I've already caught over 1,100 beaver in a season. People considered me an expert. Anybody that catches 1,104 beaver obviously knows how to catch beaver. And in a way, that's true. And in a way, I learned that that's not true. A beaver... To someone that never puts night vision cameras on beaver sets gives you a false sense of what's going on at a set and we're going to get back to the dirt hole but I want to use this as an example when you watch beaver go up to 330 body grips and smell them climb around them and over them and don't get caught and you're watching it on footage it's heartbreaking it causes a lot of anxiety and you may see three beaver not get caught in a body grip and then one does now what happens from the trappers perspective he sets the trap he comes back the next day and there's a beaver in it set work beautifully did exactly what it's supposed to do caught a beaver now the interesting thing with the night vision footage is it shows you that it's only sometimes sometimes it's a hundred percent sometimes it's twenty percent sometimes it's thirty percent sometimes it's fifty percent at catching but from the guy that's not looking at night vision footage when you put that body grip in and you come back and there's an animal there in your mind, your pattern, the way that we think, beaver comes up and gets caught. Not that you miss three or four like I was seeing with them, but it just works. And in a sense, guys, I'm telling you, that's true. It does. And then when you put a foothold in five inches of water on a slide, and you see four or five different beaver come up to the set and looks like they're like standing on top of the trap jumping up and down looking around and piddling around and nothing happens and then some poor unlucky little bastard beaver shows up and the first time he goes up to it he gets caught now what happens to the trapper he sets the trap he comes back, there's a beaver. In his mind, it's a 100% success rate. In reality, it wasn't that high. Luckily, the lure kept other beaver coming back and forth, or the same beaver coming back and forth several times. But it took several times to catch him. But in both instances, the trapper pattern recognition is, this is all I've got to do. And this is where I want you to think about dirt holes. A standard dirt hole. And when I, when I say standard, guys, I want you to understand what that means. That's more of a classic fox dirt hole set. And this is what a lot of guys still use today for coyotes, which I'm not beating them up on it. It's just something to think about. 
It's a three or four inch hole with a Yoho trowel, five or six inches deep with some lure and bait in the bottom and a very flat, sifted, obvious pattern in front of it. When you put night vision on something like that, I know me and Randy had times on Red Fox that we were seeing that we should have caught an extra 14 to 15 Red Fox a night that we weren't catching because of our sets. It was so bad, Randy didn't even want to look at the footage anymore. Because the bias that the trapper has, if you set a trap and you catch a fox, that it's like the first fox that comes up and he just gets caught. Not necessarily the case. Coyotes will drive you insane if you put night vision on them. Some will walk up just like you think they do and they'll get caught. More will circle, come to the back, go to the high side. That's why you see a lot of uh, digging around the back of holes, all kind of this stuff. But what I want to impart to the new guys is when you see that, adjust what you're doing. You have to adjust. The animal is showing you that they're not working the set as you plan. No matter what the book says, or the video, or the demos, or your theories. Whatever your bias is, is irrelevant because that coyote doesn't know your bias. So if you see digging from the side, guess where the trap goes? To the side. If you see it from the back, it goes to the back. We as trappers, when you're doing something as simple as a dirt hole, you gotta be like an investigator. The night vision is not exactly like an uh, uh, investigator because it's like a, a, a blunt bat to the face when you see what goes on. But if you're not using that because they, they take time, sometimes you can spoil a set, uh, different things can happen. You have to see what's going on at the set. And we're talking about something as simple as a dirt hole. And I, I will say that there's certain things that I've learned with dirt holes for certain animals that make a big difference. And I, I've talked about this several times in the past guys if you're gonna make a dirt hole for a coyote make a dirt hole for a coyote if you're gonna make a dirt hole for a bobcat make a dirt hole for a bobcat not a coyote if you're gonna make a dirt hole for a fox you make a dirt hole for a fox and not a cat and not a coyote and if you're gonna make dirt holes for raccoons make a dirt hole for a coyote Because a fox, a bobcat, and a coyote all react to your set differently. One of the reasons 
that younger trappers, newer trappers, don't have to be young, but newer trappers have a hard time breaking into new numbers is because they generically try to do the same thing with a set for everything. And they get generic responses with generic catch numbers. What do I mean by this? I'm going to break down the dirt hole for these different animals. So if you're new to trapping, hopefully you can gain a little bit from this. And I'm going to say the same things now that I say to students when we teach them at the school. Me and Jeff's school. If you're going to be trying something new, like if I'm getting ready to say something that you don't do, do not trust me. Don't trust Clint 100%. Prove it to yourself. So if you're running 50 traps and I'm telling you to do one thing or someone else is telling you to do one thing, maybe put 10 sats out like that. Randomly. So you can see. See, there's an interesting thing that we do at our school at the end, and I've got to thank Sarah for this from She Traps. Is she looks at things differently. So she had this idea last year that the class needs to, everybody that wants to, puts their name and phone number down. And anybody that wants it can take everybody's name and phone number down. So we can do texting groups. And we do. Every class, except the first one, I believe, has their own texting group. Just today, I was on two different ones. It's not on Facebook. It's not on Instagram. It's If you're a student, it's something that students go back and forth with. You know, I caught this using this, another guy's great job, slaps on the back, you know, pounding chest, all that. But the, the, the cool thing about seeing that is, if you come to the school with me and Jeff, you're gonna see some techniques and some trap placement that is radically different than what you see at trapping demos. And we also really promote blind sets. And that's coming from two lure makers. But we, we, see how can I say how forcefully we do this? Stringently promote blind sets and very different trap placements. The cool thing about when the students get on these, these uh, texting groups is they'll show a coyote with a trap in the back that caught it. Or they put it to the side because of this and they're showing a picture of it. And then you can tell by the way the words are written at the beginning, there's a little bit of shock. Or now it's kind of like this coyote was in a blind set, and this coyote was in a blind set, and this coyote was in a blind set, and I caught this coyote in a blind set. 
until you see it with your own eyes, you really don't believe it. What's cool about the texting groups is I can see them seeing it with their own eyes. It's not me and Jeff selling them on a concept. It's they're seeing it with their own eyes. And that's cool. So, if we're talking about raccoons, what I've learned with raccoons and dirt hole sets, put in a, a, a big old nasty looking dirt hole. I use an auger, you can use a shovel, whatever you want to use. I want it to have some eye peel. I want a great big old ass pattern. I'm talking, I want to sling dirt straight back out of that hole where I'm going to put the trap. Not where it's a, a, a sweet spot over the trap. I'm talking, I want it to be back 12, 18 inches. What I've learned with raccoons on dry land, which will save you a ton of heartache, guys, is to put your trap about 9 to 10 inches back. The industry standard of raccoon trapping is you crowd the hole. If you crowd the hole, what are you going to catch? The front feet. What is the most vulnerable part of a raccoon in a foothold trap? The front feet. Do you know what you never hear anybody talking about losing a raccoon? By the back foot. It's a great big old meaty thing. It doesn't have a little bitty bone in the wrist. It's a ham hock. Another reason I love putting my trap back nine to 10 inches back from a dirt hole for a raccoon is because with night vision, you will watch raccoons go up to holes and they literally go up and they bring their front feet off of the ground to put them into the hole. They don't all walk up on all fours and like tiptoe up to the hole where the trap crowding would be and then take a hand and put it down in there. When they get pretty close, they raise up and they put their hands in the hole and the only thing now on the dry ground is the back feet. And the back feet are, even on a big raccoon, 9 to 10 inches back. And a lot of times they will sit their butts down when they do this. But luckily the way they sit down, their front feet can still get caught most of the time. Now when we're talking fox, red fox. I like to have about a three inch hole that I can make with an auger and make it super deep. Four inches is fine, five inches is probably fine. And I will crowd that trap up towards what I consider the front of the hole. Early season. And you can do kind of a Charlie Robbins style set where you have a slant on the trap where the water can run, get off of the trap, go down in the hole a little bit. And they will get right down in there with that 
and get caught. Here's where experience comes into play. That's early season. You start going after Fox to get pressure late January or late December, January, before they start rubbing. Your catch goes way down with that set. They don't react the same. You move that trap to the back of the set and watch what happens. It's the same animal on the same location. The difference is it's a different time of the year and a different reaction. Could it have something to do with breeding? Possibly. If you're looking for a basic fox set, the two best that I can think of is to get Ron and Pete Leggett's fox demo. They've got that down early season to a science. And when Pete was alive, they're both catching about 500 coyotes a year early season. They're masters at that. They had smaller holes. They had a little a little break point right at the, the, the treadle or the pan. It's a beautiful set. I've been with Randy that catches just as many fox. He uses a Charlie Robbins dirt hole set. You can look that up on my YouTube channel. You can see plenty of them. You see Randy putting them in. The trap's a little bit farther back. It's kind of like a sloping trench set into a bigger hole. In early season, it kills them. Later season, though, you can make the same set, but put the trap blended in on the back, and your catch is going to go up. That's fox. Gray fox. Most, I'm going to be honest, most of my gray fox catches, and I've had some pretty good ones, are generic red fox style sets. And I miss a lot of fox. And those little things frustrate me to death. Because they don't act the way that you think a canine should act. If your trap's too close, they stand behind it. If it's too far back, they stand in front of it. They go to the side, they go to the back, they hang off of limbs, they lay on their belly. They do weird stuff. Gray fox is a weird animal when it works a set. But if you're going to do dirt holes, try to find a way using limbs or roots or, or cactus, depending on where you're at, to not give them that many options. They're more like cats. They, they'll go into tight areas. My way of catching most of my gray fox on purpose, where it wasn't a generic set, was I would find a, a steep bank on the side of a road, I'd take my digging hammer, and I would dig a, a, a slit into the, the bank, straight into the bank, all the way up to the top, so it looks like, uh, how can I describe this? You got a road bed and a bank coming up. I take a, a digging hammer, and I'm just digging out like a slot, like a big key slot into the bank about four or five inches deep. 
I'll take re-rod and I'll beat in a hole on each side of that slot at the back and I will form the bottom of that slot that's on the road to just barely fit the jaws of the trap and I will sit that up in there. That's the only way personally I can figure out how to keep them from acting all weird around sets because they can't hang off of a steep bank and work those holes. They've got to come down to the bottom. So I'm not even going to pretend that I'm an expert on, on, on purposely catching a lot of gray fox. I've had more heartache over gray fox than anything else. Bobcats. I don't want to do a whole show just on bobcats. The thing about bobcats is, and I'm going to go over a few of the points really, really quick. Guys, you can go to my YouTube channel at Wolfer Nation, see demo after demo in bobcat set after bobcat set. Because what I'm going to say, if you just listen to me, I promise you you're going to mess it up. At the school, this last class was better than most. I can give a, a whole hour demo on nothing but one set and most people still have bad habits that they want to bring into it. And it's, uh, it can be, it can cause you a lot of cats. Bobcats have a tendency when they see something that's strange, all they want to do is look at it and figure it out. They're not really trying to get your bait out. They're not trying to eat it. So what a bobcat does a lot of times is he will sit and watch. He's kind of like a voyeur. He just wants to watch. And a lot of times where they stop at sets is about because I spent two years with a journal with a tape measure figuring this out about 16 inches back. So that taught me that I need my trap to be 18 inches back. And I have to know how the cat's going to approach the set. So I put a flag directly in front of the attractor. Not behind it, not over it. I don't put anything on the flag as far as lure goes. And then I build up the sides of my set where it looks more like a chute than a cubby. Where the cat can't see my set till he goes to the flag. Then he's got to go from the flag directly into this chute to get to the attractant, which could be a dirt hole with a bunch of feathers in it. My trap, first trap, if, I, if it, cats are really high dollar, I'm using two traps. Why would anybody take a chance on not catching when cats are high on a four, $600 cat with one trap? That's lunacy to me. So I'm going to use two traps. But the closest trap to my bobcat set is 18 inches. That little bit of advice right there, if you go back and watch the videos, that's what took me from catching 30 and 40 cats a year to 70, 80, 100 and plus a year. That right there. Now I want you to think about that, 18 inches. A red fox and a, and a gray fox 
and a raccoon without the chute forcing them in there like that they can do powwows and dances and break dances all around your trap and they're never going to come or around your set and never come close to your trap that's the reason i'm saying you make these sets for the particular animals and then we come to coyotes my advice on coyotes is either in one or two ways and i learned this from johnny thorpe you make a hell of a mess or you make no mess nothing in between what is a hell of a mess pull up a picture on google of what a bob uh, a badger hole looks like that's a hell of a mess What's a non-mess? It's a hole and nothing else is disturbed. There's no dirt pattern. There's no sifted area. It looks just like the ground around it except there's a hole. Johnny, smart, Johnny Thorpe was pretty smart with this. You make a big mess or you don't make a mess at all. What do most trappers do? They go in the middle. So if I'm making a coyote set that's a big mess, I'm going to put in a decent hole, four to six inches with an auger that's probably going to go down 12 to 18 inches deep. I'm going to have the dirt pattern thrown back two to three feet, scattered, coming out at a, from a point of the hole, going everywhere. Not to make this complicated, because that's not what this show is about, I may or may not put a trap in the dirt pattern. But for beginners, I would say, start off putting a trap in the dirt pattern. And I'm probably going to have that dead center back 10 to 12 inches. Which is a crappy set for Fox. And if it's not black down on the side, it's a crappy set for cats. Because a cat goes into the set the way he sees it. A cow can go into a set any way he wants to. Your little grass clump does not deter a cow. Putting a rock back there does not deter a cow. Putting a little piece of log back there does not deter a coyote. It depends on how he wants to work the set, which depends on a lot of times if it's a pup or it's an adult coyote. If they're green when it comes to being trapped or they've got some experience, you don't know. But I would probably start off as a coyote trapper learning to coyote trap, I would make two types of sets. A big mess with a dirt hole and a no mess. So get online if you don't know what a badger hole looks like and look at look at several. Doesn't cost you any money to get on Google and do that. Replicate that. It's a hole. You can stick your arm in. 
you throw your bait and lure at the bottom. You can put some grass in there. You can, you know, you can, all these little minutia of stuff that people think is super important. Big mess, no mess. And I kick that dirt out all over the place. It looks like something happened. And it looked like it happened recently. No hole. A lot of trappers do this simply by going up to a tuft of grass and beating in a re-rod and kind of reaming it out a little bit and putting their lure in there. Now where, to me, some of them probably are missing a few coyotes is they have a dirt pattern in front of that because it's very weird in nature. It's very weird. But if you put your re-rod, beat it in six, eight inches, wallow it out really good, right up against something like a, you know, a root or a grass clump or some hay, edge of a field, something like that where there's a crop change. You drop your lure and your bait down in there. Come back, I would still do about nine to 10 inches, 12 inches back, just depending on how I feel at the time to be completely open about it. But instead of having this dirt pattern that's sifted and looking really pretty, which does not detour fox, but can detour coyotes, I would take grass clippings or leaves or whatever's around me, and I would blend that in so it looks like I've never been there and the trap is just blended. So there's just a hole with a re-rod and a blended trap in front of it. That's all there is to it. You could dig a smaller hole with a Yoho trowel, blend a trap in front of it, or beside it, or behind it, wherever you want to put it. And go about it that way. See, dirt holes, depending on what you're trapping, you can let animals show you where to put the trap or you can be hard-headed about it. The more experience you get and the more you see train wrecks and everything like that, the, you, you just kind of get a, a, like a sixth sense about this stuff. If you're new to trapping, let the animals teach you. Go dig some holes in places that you can't trap because of permission or dogs or whatever it is. Dig some holes, put your bait and lure down in there, and come back and look at it in two or three days. Which way is it dug out? Because that's where his feet was at. That'll probably shock a lot of trappers to realize it's not always in the front. If you wanted to go about this, if I was very new to trapping, I would use this technique. I would dig the holes, put the lure in there, go in and have a dirt pattern or whatever I'm going to do, and then come back in a couple of days and look at it. Not set a trap. How you see the animal works the set, that direction is where you put the trap. Sometimes it's from the side, sometimes it's the back, sometimes it is the front. But if you do that, you're going to know where to put the trap. 
And I know there's all kind of people out there that have their theories on where a trap's supposed to go. And that's all they are is theories. And the problem with human theories is the animals don't know them. Let that sink in just a little bit. Another thing talking about coyotes is you want your set to look natural. If you go back and you look at some of the Bill Nelson work back in the 70s, he used to go as far as after he dug a hole with the trowels, he had a fork that he bent at a 90 degree angle. So all the, all the tines are bent down. So it's like a little scratching tool. And he would just quickly scratch around those holes because why? It made it look natural. Am I saying you have to do that? No. But it does make a difference. How the dirt looks can be very unnatural or natural. These classic little flat trying to be nice where you bed a trap and you sift with the fine dirt right over the trap and it looks like there's just I mean it's perfect that's nowhere in nature and a lot of coyotes are going to balk at that when I make a dirt pattern there's no obvious place that that trap is at The last thing I normally do when I get done with a trap before I put the bait in there, after I bed the trap, is stick my hand down in the hole and just flick dirt out. Because I don't want it to look super sifty. We're talking coyotes now, not fox, not cats. I want it to be rough and tumble because that's what it's like when an animal digs a hole. Now I'm going to end with this. And I've done this, and I still have these somewhere, I'm sure. And this was back in the day before digital cameras. When I would come across natural holes, groundhogs, badgers, mice, coyote diggings, some stuff I didn't even know what it was, I would click a picture of it, and I'd put it in like a photo album. I've got pictures from all kind of different states and all kind of different terrains with all kind of different animals digging them. And it's you can't get it more natural than that. And if you want to be a good natural dirt hole setter, mimic that. Not what you see in a trapping book. Mimic nature, not trappers. If you will do that, you're already going to be leaps and bounds ahead of what a lot of the other newer trappers are trying to do. Because when you're new and you see something in a book, you just assume it's correct. You just assume that's the right way. And in trapping, I'm not sure if there's a right way and a wrong way, but I can tell you when it comes to coyotes, there's a natural way and a very unnatural way. If you're walking down the road and you automatically just see your set 
your brain's probably going, yes, I'm right with that. But if you're walking down the road and you come across two groundhog holes, then you're set, you can't tell which is which, now you're spot on, man. You're going to have better luck. My last bit of advice about dirt holes. Lure and bait goes in the bottom of the hole. Lure does not go on the lip of the hole. How do I know that? For all the rolling that I've seen over the years when I've tried it. You come up to a trap, it's snapped off, it's barely rolled out of the bed, you got a couple of long hairs in it. You put lure right at the top of the ground and the coyote is going to roll in it. You did that. The coyote didn't do anything because he was smart. He's just being a coyote. The lure and the bait go in the bottom of the hole. I know why people want to put lure at the top of holes. They think that it's going to get on the wind better and get further out and they'll catch more coyotes. Logically, I can see why they think that way. My personal experience is that's a bad move. Because you're going to get a lot of rolling when that happens. I know there's people that say that a good lure and a good bait doesn't call rolling and I have to call BS on that because that is nonsense. If a coyote is not going to roll on whatever you put out, he's not interested at all anyway. That's a marketing ploy. That's all that is. That's to get younger trappers that don't know any better to buy somebody's bait over somebody else's. Because I guarantee it won't roll in it. Well, I can guarantee you're not going to catch much in it either. So make them look natural for coyotes. Move your traps back because you're not fox trapping. You're coyote trapping. Go big mess or no mess. And if you'll play with that for a couple of years, I have a feeling you're going to be shocked on how many couch you can actually catch. Sure, they have to be on location. Sure, the coyotes have to be there. But with all that just assumed, if you'll follow those basic rules on any of these animals, I think you're going to have a little bit better success. And that's what I want newer trappers to have is success. Because the new success seems to be posting it on social media. And that's the only way we're going to keep people in the trap. Is if they have success. Guys, and I will talk to you all next week.